Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness to your praise and honor through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've probably never heard of Charlie Taylor. Now, if you had known Charlie Taylor, they say you would have described him as a quiet man, but he did have a propensity for being mechanically inclined. I think of Daniel. (laughs) Walker back here. He, I don't know who Charlie Taylor much about him, but just the image that I hear of him, it just Daniel comes to mind. Charlie was a quiet man, mechanically inclined. Some might have said that Charlie was a mechanical genius, but he had dropped out of school when he was 12. I don't think Daniel did that, but he had, he had dropped out of school when he was 12, just wasn't all that interested in school. He went to work for the Nebraska State Journal. He worked for a few years in the processing department and then moved into their binding department because of his propensity for mechanical things. And he worked there for a number of years and then he met a couple men who hired him to come work for them. They hired him on for $18 a week. Now, been a number of years ago and $18 a week went further back then than it does today but even then $18 a week wasn't much now you may not have heard of Charlie Taylor but you heard you've heard of the two men who hired him because the two men who hired Charlie Taylor were Wilbur and Orville Wright and Charlie Taylor because of his mechanical inclination they gave him the job and he developed the engine that was both light enough and powerful enough to get Wilbur and Orville Wright's airplane off the ground. A few years later, of course, you know the history, the rest of the story. They, they fly for the first, well, one of the first times. But it's often, if you look back through history, there's, there's encounters that take place throughout history that... In retrospect, they changed the course of history. For instance, Alexander Graham Bell met Thomas Watson in 1874, and later the telephone. In 1898, Henry Henry Ford met Thomas Edison. Or you think back to when, you know, more in some of our lifetimes, not my lifetime, I'm not quite this old yet, But Jeff, of course, would remember this. Uh, When Steve Jobs encountered Steve Wozniak in 1970, and then came Apple computers. There's just encounters throughout history that change the course of history. And when you read the Gospels, there are encounters that take place in the Gospels that, you know, people walk away and there's a difference. Now, sometimes people would walk away from having met Jesus, and they'd walk away discouraged, like the rich young ruler. Walked away discouraged. Or some walked away for the first time because they hadn't walked 
when they met Jesus. But Jesus healed them, and then they were able to walk. Other people walked away from Jesus with new sight, able to see for the first time. Just having an encounter with Jesus brings transformation. You can't encounter Jesus and just not be changed. Now this morning, we're going to read the story of Simon, or we know better as Peter, and his saving encounter, I believe, with Jesus. Now, Simon had met Jesus before. We know that because Jesus has been in Peter's home. He's already healed Peter's mother-in-law. But Peter was a fisherman. That's just what he did. He was a fisherman. They lived right next to the Lake Gennesaret, or as we know it better as the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. Peter really didn't have to think about what he was going to do on any given day. He was a fisherman. He fished. And as the Geico commercials would say, it's just what you do. You remember those commercials? Fishermen, that's just what you do. And on this particular morning in Luke chapter 5, Peter's been fishing along with James and John, and they've been fishing. They said there's about 18 to 25 different fish species in the lake of the Sea of Galilee. And they've been fishing. And they've been fishing all night. And Luke chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around Jesus, around him, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners, and the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now fishing is a funny business. If you and I were to go fishing, you probably wouldn't be surprised if we didn't catch anything. I mean, you know, we, we, you, you would hope we would catch something, but if we didn't catch something, it probably wouldn't come as too much of a surprise, because after all, neither one of us would be professionals, right? Anybody can have a bad day fishing. But you don't expect professional fishermen to come away empty. Professional fishermen know where to go to catch the fish. And Peter, James, and John were professionals. But on this particular night, 
They weren't having just a relaxing evening trying to catch the monster. That's how you and I would fish. But Peter, James, and John were fishing because their livelihood depended upon it. They were professionals. They caught fish in order to provide for their families. They likely sold their catch and earned money. That's how they earned money to provide for their families. But now they've had a disappointing night. They've caught nothing. It's morning and they're frustrated. They've come to the shore with their boats and Jesus is teaching the crowds. They know Jesus. As I mentioned, he's already been in Peter's home. And so when Jesus asks Peter if he can get in his boat and then tells Peter, would you push out from the land a little bit? Peter did what Jesus asked him to do. He obliged him. Meanwhile, these fishermen cleaned their nets. Now, cleaning their nets was a tedious process. It wasn't just uh, an easy thing to do, especially when you were a tired fisherman who had fished all night and you had caught nothing. I'm sure what Peter, James, and John really wanted to do in this moment is they wanted to go home, crash in bed, but first, the nets needed to be cleaned. And so they cleaned and Jesus taught. Jesus used Peter's boat as a floating pulpit because the crowd was pressing around him, listening to the Word of God. Now that's an important phrase. It's the first time that Luke uses it. He'll use it a lot in the book of Acts. The Word of God. You see, when Jesus spoke, the Word of God was speaking the Word of God. Jesus was the Word made flesh. And He's now speaking the Word of God. And when the Word of God is being proclaimed, we ought to set up and take notice. Jesus is speaking. And I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about being a disciple. And what I want you to... First thing I want you to understand this morning is that sometimes... Disciples are given curious commands. Has Jesus ever given you, told you to do something that you didn't quite understand why? Or am I the only one? Sometimes disciples are given curious commands. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now wait a minute, Jesus. The professionals have fished all night long and they've caught nothing. They're tired. They've cleaned their nets. They're ready to go home and go to bed. But now Jesus says, go out into the deep water and let down your nets again. Now you know what this will mean for Peter, James, and John, right? If they let down their nets again, they've got to go back to shore and they've got to clean their nets all over again. Now they tell me these nets were what was known as trammel nets that were made of linen. And they say that these nets would have been visible to the fish during the day and so they used them at night. They, they say that they required two to four men to put out these nets and they would need washed every morning. And now Jesus is telling his disciples, or Peter, James, and John, they're about to become his disciples, He's telling them, go out into the deep, let them out again during the daytime now, when the fish can see the net and avoid it, go out, put it out down in the deep water, 
And they're going to have to come back and clean their nets all over again. And they're the professionals. Maybe this would be a little bit, maybe to make this a little more applicable to us, maybe Tiger Woods and I just happened to go out golfing. Now, I golf about once every seven years or so, something like that. It's been a number of years since I golfed. And, and Tiger Woods and I would go out golfing, and I'd start giving Tiger some tips on how he can improve his swing. All right? Tiger's the professional. I'm not even an amateur. I don't even know what I would be considered. I'm the guy who loses golf balls. That's what I'm considered, all right? But I'm going to tell Tiger how to improve his swing. But I want you to notice something here. Jesus, I believe, and Luke, as he writes this, is intentionally turning a miracle catch of fish into a parable about catching people for the kingdom. In other words, Jesus isn't just teaching the Word of God as he sat in the boat. Jesus is also showing something here. And I think he's showing that for his followers to be disciples, to truly follow him, there are going to be times in which our master says to us, this is what I want you to do, and it won't always make sense. Jesus is making disciples here. That's what he's doing. And he gives them this curious command. But I want you to notice, secondly, the disciples are not only sometimes given curious commands, but true disciples are people who are convinced by Christ's word. Simon answered and said, look at what he says to Jesus. Master, we worked, all, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. Now, a lot of us, we'd stop right there, and that would be our excuse. Sure, Jesus, we believe in you, but we've worked hard and we've caught nothing. But notice what Peter goes on to say. He says, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Peter didn't understand Jesus' command, but at Jesus' word, he obeyed anyhow. And again, we're not always going to understand why Jesus tells us to do some of the things he tells us to do, but nevertheless, at his command, we're going to obey because we know that he knows best. Sometimes Jesus' commands can seem foolish. Sometimes his commands may seem insensitive. And in verse 4, that seems to be both. From Peter, James, and John's perspective, for them to go out after fishing all night and catching nothing, and now you want us to go out in the daytime after we've already cleaned our nets, that seems pretty foolish, and it also seems pretty insensitive. Jesus, you know you're asking us to do a whole bunch more work, and it's been unsuccessful. But, Peter doesn't stop there. He's convinced of God's word. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we're going to have to be convinced that he knows what is best. I love the way Peter put it. He said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say 
and I'll let down the nets. The King James Version puts it, Nevertheless, at thy word. That's the watchword of saints. At your word, Jesus, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do as you say. God calls Abraham out of a strange country, middle-aged man, and he tells him to set off into the desert. Nevertheless, at thy word. God tells Noah, build an ark, it's going to rain. What's rain, God? He had never seen rain. Build an ark. And he builds the ark. Why? Nevertheless, at thy word. Moses defied Pharaoh. He looks to heaven and he says, nevertheless, at thy word. David Nevertheless, thy word. Joshua, march around Jericho and don't say a word. One time a day. That's not how you conquer cities. March around one time. Do that for seven days. On the seventh day, march around seven times. Then blow the trumpet and, and the walls come tumbling down. It makes a great kids story and kids song but it's a reality it's what happened and joshua and the children of israel had to be willing to obey god even when it didn't make sense that's my point you see disciples respond in obedience even when they don't understand all the reasons why peter says Jesus, I don't understand. That's what he's saying to Jesus, essentially. I don't understand, but nevertheless, I'll let down the nets. I'll do what you want me to do. You see, we still have a part to do. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, we come to Jesus by faith. We're saved by faith. There's nothing any one of us can do to save ourselves. It is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's how we're saved. But faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. And if you truly believe in Jesus, you'll do what he wants you to do. Yes, we're saved by faith alone, but it is a faith that responds in obedience. You see, Peter had to have faith in Jesus to believe in his word. But he also had to respond in obedience to Jesus' command. You know, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you could fill my nets with fish. But I'm too tired to obey you right now. Sorry about that, Jesus. That's not how he responded. You see, the fish aren't going to jump into the boat by themselves. There's still... We have a part to play. Now, how did those nets get filled? Well, Jesus worked a miracle right here. But Peter had to be willing to put down the nets. I think far too often we want Jesus to do everything for us. And yes, we should want him to do everything for us. We should want him to deliver us. But we want Jesus to always deliver us with just a miraculous touch instantly. We like miraculous deliverance as long as we don't have to let down the nets and inconvenience ourselves. 
We want Jesus to heal us as long as we don't have to go wash in the muddy Jordan River. We want deliverance, but we don't want to go to rehab. We want deliverance, but we don't want to go to a counselor. Or we don't want to go to the meeting. We don't want to put in the work. That's the point I'm driving at here. We want people to get saved. We just don't want to open our mouths and tell them about Jesus. We want people to come to church. We just don't want to invite them. Or we want people to come to church. We just don't want to be inconvenienced to have to drive a little bit out of our way and go pick them up in our car. We want the results. We just don't want to do the work. I know the preacher's done gone to meddling this morning. But my point is, my point is, Jesus, I think, wants to do far more for us than we see happen often because we want to keep the nets in the boat because we've already washed them. And we don't want to have to do any extra work. One man put it this way. Without God, we can't. Without us, He won't. I wonder how many answers to prayer await us letting down the nets. So are you convinced of God's Word? Disciples are convinced of God's Word. But disciples are also people who have been convicted of personal sin. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats, so they began to sink. But when Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, I don't know if Peter was yawning outwardly or, you know, if he was groaning inwardly when Jesus gave him this command to let down the nets. But it is apparent he was skeptical a little bit, but he says, Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. But his skepticism was quickly transformed into a realization about himself and his own sinfulness when he saw the holiness of the one who had told him to let down the nets. You see, what do you think of when you think of holiness? A holy person is a person who's separated from everything that's unclean, right? Anything morally wrong and displeasing to God... That's true. And a holy person can become known as, as someone who is, you know, they become known as by what they object or abstain from or reject. And we come to regard them as holy. And that's, that's natural because to be holy is to be separate from sin. But what if there's another kind of holiness? What if we define holiness not by what it avoids, but what if there's a holiness that's both transcendent and transformative? What if there's a holiness 
that makes contact with the world, but by that contact transforms the world. Did you follow that? What if there's a holiness that makes contact with the world? In other words, it's more than just separate from the world. It makes contact with the world. And by that contact with the world, it transforms the world. Now, hopefully at this point you're thinking, yes, I know that holiness and his name is Jesus. Because there has never been anyone who is as holy as Jesus who was separate from the world and never sinned. But yet Jesus stepped down and he dwelt among sinful people. And what does a holy God do with sinful people? Well, he reaches out and he touches them. But then they're transformed. And Peter comes face to face with the reality that the one before him is holy and he's sinful. And so Peter says, get away from me! Because Peter knows that holiness is separate from sinners. But you see, Jesus can do more than just be separate from sinners. He can transform the sinner. But if I want to know Him, I first must know myself without Him. And without Jesus, every one of us is hopelessly bound in our sin without Him. First, we must see our unholiness like Isaiah. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, what did he realize? He realized how sinful he was. I'm going to quote the Calvinist of Calvinists, in a quote about holiness, so brace yourself. John Calvin wrote, Man never attains to a true knowledge of himself until he has contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. We have to see Jesus for who he is. And when you see Jesus for who he is, you see yourself for who you are. And who we are without Christ is unholy and ugly. But thank God, he didn't stay separate from sinners. He reached down and he lifted us up out of the deep miry clay and set our feet on the solid rock to stay. Disciples are sometimes given curious commands. Disciples are convinced of God's word. Disciples are convicted of personal sin and disciples are then consecrated to Christ's service. That's what happens with Peter. And Jesus said to Simon, that's Peter, do not fear. Notice, do not fear. That's absolutely what you should do when you come face to face with the Holy God. You should fear. But Jesus says to Peter, don't fear. Because from now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. 
You see, when Peter, what Peter found in Jesus was a holiness that could transform someone from a sinner to a saint and enable them to leave everything and follow Jesus. And that's still what Jesus requires of each and every one of us. If we want to come after Him, if we want to follow Him, if we want to be a disciple of His, we've got to be willing to be set apart for His service. We leave everything behind and follow him that is discipleship we must be willing to recognize our own un, own unholiness before him we cry out to him for forgiveness and we leave everything to follow him you see peter was a fisherman but jesus wanted him to be a fisher of men Jesus has just given Peter, James, and John the biggest success they've ever had in their professional fishing career. And it happened in the middle of the day when it shouldn't have happened. Man, this is, this is money making business. And Jesus says, Peter, James, John, leave it. Leave it and come follow me. And what does the scripture tell us? When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That seems to indicate that those two boats full of fish were just left right there. And they followed Jesus. They were consecrated. They were set apart for Christ's service. It was more important for them to be fishers of men than to be fishermen. They relinquished their rights to themselves. They had received His call and they relinquished the right to themselves and followed Jesus. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian here this morning, have you given up the rights to yourself? If you're not a Christian here this morning, Jesus is calling you to come to Him by faith and believe in Him to forgive you of your sins and leave everything and follow Him. In order for that to happen, we've got to be dead to ourselves. And as Dallas Willard put it, he said, being dead to self is the one condition, is the condition where the mere fact that I do not get what I want does not surprise or offend me and has no control over me. Peter, James, and John had just gotten everything they wanted. And Jesus says, leave it. George Mueller, that great man of faith, said, there was a day when I died. Died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, taste, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. It's small wonder that it was once said, 
that George Mueller had the 23rd Psalm written in his face. Now, he didn't have a tattooed, it was just his face. He was someone who was sold out to serve God. So let me ask you this morning, what's your response to God's word this morning? How should you respond in faith to Jesus' call? Because he's calling every one of us to come and follow him. Jesus, at your word, I'll let down my nets and follow you. I know I've preached a little long this morning, and we're going to partake of communion together to close the service. Would you stand with me? I want us to pray together this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together to close the service. We're proclaiming the death of Christ. As you know, the elements of the Lord's Supper represent the body and blood of Jesus. They're visible sermons to us. They show us the gospel in tangible form. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming that great drama of redemption. We're proclaiming salvation in the present for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. It's proclaiming salvation in the present. We're also proclaiming salvation in the past. You proclaim the Lord's death. He died once for sin. And we're also proclaiming salvation in the future until He comes again. And it's our privilege to partake in this visible sermon this morning. Jesus left everything. Providing for us the example that He calls us to. He left everything for us. And so I want us to pray together before we partake this morning. Our Father, we thank you for your love and your grace that caused you to step down from heaven, be born of a virgin, to live amongst sinful men and yet never sin, to go to the cross for our redemption to die on the cross, to be buried, and then rise again. And Lord, we thank You this morning for Your shed blood. We thank You for Your body that was broken for us. And this morning, as we prepare to partake together, may You help each one of us, Lord, to be fully consecrated to You, to obey Your Word, whatever You ask us to do, even when it doesn't make sense, help us, Lord, to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen.